Hey, everybody, and welcome to Celebrating the Brand Ambassador, where we get down and dirty and reveal the secrets of some of the most outstanding career brand ambassadors, innovators, and brand owners in the cocktail industry. I'm your host, Elaine Duff, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Now let's get right into it and meet the personalities behind the brands you love. Hey, everybody. So we are back for the 10th episode of the Celebrating the Brand Ambassador. And I have the pleasure of being here today with the lovely Lacey Hawkins, a Monkey 47 Gin, and Hi, the sorry, uh, lovely uh, Nicola um, Olianis. And each of them are going to try to figure out how to share the story. All right. So, Lacey, then I'm going to start with you while Nic uh, Nicola figures out his. All right. So, yeah, tell me what it. brand you work for. And Yay. Um, tell us what brand you work for. I know where you said it and what your responsibilities are for that role. Oh, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to condense my responsibilities, right? Cause I think yeah. every brand ambassador is just like <laughs> kind of the person who says yes to things, but my name is Lacey Hawkins and I work as the national brand ambassador for monkey 47 gin in the United States. And you know, my role used to really be around five days a week, traveling around the United States and working directly with sales teams and bars and restaurants and media and other Pernod Ricard employees who are in different parts of the US and working with them to educate them around Monkey 47, facilitating tastings and educationals and you know helping to sort of grease the wheels around like spreading the gospel of monkey 47 and now i work much more um closely with consumers directly which is really really fun because i think anyone in the beverage industry food or beverage industry can really kind of agree that bartenders have a tendency to play their cards pretty close to the vest and are a little reluctant to show enthusiasm for different pieces and different spirits or different things that people kind of wait for a real group consensus before coming out and, and speaking and consumers, meaning just like everyday people are so stoked about the smallest <laughs> thing. And they just love like, you know, I do a lot of like one-on-one -on -one happy hours and corporate happy hours and engagements and stuff. So my job has definitely changed over the last 10 or 12 months, but it's still really fulfilling and really enriching. And I feel like I'm just kind of like, I get like a little birthday party every day when I'm hanging out with consumers. So it's, it's really, really fun. So so, so that's kind of what I'm doing now. And then and then that'll continue to evolve as and I've been with Monkey also, for yeah. about four years. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. I was gonna say, and you also work really closely with the brand team, the brand, the one person on the brand team. It's just you yeah. and her. Yeah, yeah. So I work as the national brand ambassador. And then my boss, Jennifer Schwartz, is the Monkey 47 US brand lead. And so, you know, she has the awesome job of like really kind of cracking the code around like, how can we take this brand monkey 47 gin and like elevate it, amplify it, make it grow, get it into people's home bars, their back bars into their glasses, getting that liquid to lips as they say. And, and I get to work directly with her, which is amazing because she's always been really clear that there's no such thing as just a brand ambassador. And she's like, I don't want you to be just a brand ambassador. So I'm, I'm learning all the, all the time. In fact, just last week I went, um, and I sat in on this really big and very over my head sort of media briefing and PR briefing. And, you know, I'm just like writing down the acronyms and, and, you know, going back and trying to figure out what they all mean later. And I love that stuff, you know, constantly trying to level up and, and get your foot in the door to a room where you can sit on and, and, and have access to conversations to learn more. So. 
Absolutely. I think you're getting like one of the best experiences that most brand ambassadors can get. You're getting the inside scoop and learning how to be a brand manager, which I think is which is fantastic. So many people don't get that opportunity. Nicola, tell me your role because it's uh, what you do, your title and what you're responsible for. <laughs> well, I do everything she said, basically. Yeah. <laughs> the way that I do it, like in more countries, uh, I think that this is why I'm kind of a global brand ambassador for Branca. Nothing different for what she said and nothing different for what these company people 175 years ago used to do, just getting out in the market, feet on the street, and getting people to taste the product. This is, we are, I always say that we are in a mission here. We believe in something, we believe on a, on, on a vision of somebody that somebody had like a years before, and we are spreading that vision. It's like uh, we are kind of the connect, the missing connection between companies and the field. You know, we are. This is what we are here for. You know, this is. Uh, I had to stop working. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, we are like the connection. You know, there's a lot of heritage, a lot of information within like a company, and uh, we are here to spread this information to make those information available. You know, uh, the the product is available, but also information, also the heritage are available, and also there are so many information in the field that the company cannot reach. So we are there to bring back those information to the company. So. The fact that she says correct, you know, you're learning every aspect of this job, uh, starting from sales to like to marketing and trade marketing, and, and but also you are the voice of the company, so you have to know how to do PR and what to say on the right time in the right way. We are, believe that she's also in charge, as I am, to developing uh, drinking strategies for the for mm -hmm. each, each area, and we are the, we are in charge for developing the storytelling about every product it is very important you know because we are collecting so many information collecting so many new ways of talking about our product that we're helping the marketing department to create a better storytelling and because time are changing you always have to perceive the product in a different from a different point of view and adapting that to the market all the time you're doing as she said now we are working very much with the consumer that i love very much because Consumers are amazed by storytelling. Consumers are amazed by simple things. In the industry, people, they're requesting more information. So the job we are doing now with the industry people is totally different. We are going to more depth into production, to herbs and spices. The, the people want to know why they should drink. You know, and when, yeah. and this is fantastic. You know, it's not <laughs> that you sell it. It's why should I drink it? What is better for me to drink that rather than something else? Uh, so this is what I do. I work, I work for the Fratelli Branca, which is a family-owned company. It's a hundred percent privately owned by the same family for the sixth generation now. Can you tell and, us what brands are in there? So obviously it's Fernet. Uh, well, yeah, we started Fernet with Fernet Branca. This is, you know, this is where the company was based on Fernet Branca. And uh, then in uh, 18, this is 1845. In 1888, we create our first brandy. It was the first brandy, the Sarvecchio brandy. It was the first, the time was called the Cognac. Uh, of course, for the original Appellation Francaise, you have to change the name from Cognac to brandy back again. And it was the first Italian brandy to cross the border of Italy and be shipped in Italy, I'm sorry, in the US and commercialized abroad. 19, we, up at the, Around 1920, we had more than 120 different products in our portfolio. We were wow. still we were making everything. We have bottled in our museum in Italy also of rum. We were making rum. We were making, we were making everything. Uh, I was going to say, Lacey, if you ever have an opportunity to go see, that's where I met Nicola. I was in oh, Milan yeah. last year. 
and he and he took me and he took us on a tour and it was it was incredible it was like this is where capana is made you know <laughs> it was a such an opportunity to have you all there i was there by a chance it wasn't my event but <laughs> Just to, you know, you part of the industry, so they invite you everywhere and they're friends. So there was a new Campari event and I was there. I said, you join in, you come on. So I had the chance to meet her. I said, tomorrow, you know, you can come to the museum. Mikasa, yeah. you can. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> it, it, so, yeah, go ahead. So, so you have, yeah, I, I, I want to go through the whole 120. It's, it's like, <laughs> uh, it, well, Andre, being a distillery, so you actually have the capability, the knowledge, and the know-how to make basically everything you want to. So at some point, of course, the market gener generates you like to create something that was really needed. So we cut down to very few products. And nowadays, the, what we make is uh, Brank and Brank, I mean, uh, we make our brandy and we make also an extra old version of our brandy. With the whole the, the whole range of vermouth, starting from like Carpanotica formula, the Cassico, the Punta Mess, the Bianco, and the Dry, uh, we do a, a coffee liqueur, uh, also like a Cafe Borghetti. Oh, which is really good. Which is beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, we do we do sambuca. We do like a grappa. We do have like a grappa candolini, the leading market of the grappa in Italy. We do whiskey, match whiskey. Uh, we do wine. We do oil. We do vin santo. Wow. Uh, and you represent? I'm representing. The Branca distillery has a philosophy, and of course, I have the, the know-how of talking about all this brand because I know all the story of these brands. I know how they come across with the company. Some of those brands were created by Branca. Some others were acquired by Branca back in the day. So I'm dealing with those brands. But my role is to talk about, like, I, I, I'm representing Fratelli Branca distillery. And first of all, for me, it's always to talk about Ferner Branca. For me, the main thing is always Ferner Branca. <laughs> In a way yeah, that, as you know, the states are crazy for it. <laughs> yeah, everybody. And I always have a confession: I do. I am not a fernet drinker. I know it's terrible to say. Like whenever I used to go in, into employees only, they they drink so much fernet there when it was open, yeah, and they would always send me these shots. And then eventually they realized they would have fernet, and I would have tequila. <laughs> like that was like, the <laughs> well, rule. Yeah. It's, it's fine. But I do I mean, appreciate I it. Exactly. But, but Elaine, you just you just had mentioned that you'd never had broncamenta and coffee, which like broncamenta and coffee is just like that is, you know, that is that is not a bartender's handshake. That's like the very consensual bartender's kiss. You know what I mean? Like both parties are consenting and two thumbs up and like broncamenta and coffee is just a delight. So if you if you feel like perhaps Fernet is maybe not your jam, give broncamenta and coffee a, a, a whirl because I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, have some in my, I have some in my bar at home, so I'm going to go try it uh, yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> uh, or you know, fine. Uh, the, the thing is, I, I start just, drinking like a, I start drinking mixed product, especially Branca product, on my traveling. You know, before you know, for me products, so they were meant to be drink neat and as they are. Then I start seeing bartenders and people mixing things differently, and I start appreciating. I mean, I start drinking mixed Branca Menta in New Orleans because are there Erin Roses, New Orleans. They do, yeah. Yeah, they do Irish coffee with Branca Menta Boxing. Oh, so good. And it's fantastic. I've actually had that, and that's really good. I've had that, actually, so I guess <laughs> I have. Good. That's really good. It so fattening, good. So, but, but so good. This is what we, this is, yeah, Nicola, whatever it takes. Now, <laughs> this, is, this is what we do in a way that uh, different areas, different states, but this is the, our job. And one, the most important part of the job is bringing back because we sell twice. We sell to the field and then we have to sell back to our companies. In a way that we oh, are yeah. bringing information, uh, we are trying to, to see, make them see 
the things they don't see because they are behind the desk, behind the computer. And we are, we are merging, we are trying to merge the need of the market with the need of a company in a way that will please both. This is our, it's a hard job. Somebody it get, is definitely a hard job. And we're going to talk a little one, bit more about that actually sorry, in, sorry, in the sorry. next questions. That's all right. One of the questions, because I think it'd be really important because you both have moved up in the company, like you both started in certain roles and then you kind of moved from one position into another. And Lacey, you definitely, you know, I kind of skipped over a question, but tell me a little tiny bit of your backstory right before you came, got the brand ambassador position and how you went from being the New York person to the national ambassador, because you have some really good lessons in there of things that you did to kind of help yourself. Well, before working with Monkey 47, I was bartending here in New York. I was working at The Nomad and I was working at Clover Club. And my career was also really kind of gathering a lot of steam and momentum. And I was in a really great place. But but about six or nine months before that point, I had planned on traveling for about four months. And so I was in this really hot spot with my career. And then I just kind of like left New York for about four months and, and traveled around a bit, which was delightful and wonderful. I came back to New York and still had a job at Clover Club because that's a Clover Club for you. They're wonderful. I had left Nomad and and I was looking for a change. I was looking for a challenge, I should say. And so I was ready for something new and I didn't know what that would be. And my sort of take on any great, you know, job that I've been able to get is for me, it's been like 95% luck and 5% timing. And there's probably, you know, like an additional 1% of just like hopes and prayers. And so- At the same time, I mean, I'm gonna stop you right there because it, it's not luck. You, you worked in the top, some of the top bars in the world. You won speed rack. So you've done everything you're supposed to do to build a name and a reputation for yourself. So you're the person people come for. <laughs> so well done. You're well, being thankfully humble. it worked. Thankfully it worked. <laughs> you know, Monkey 47 had just been brought into the United States. Well, I should say Monkey 47 had just been invested in by Pernod Ricard. And so Pernod Ricard now had um, some skin in the game and was looking to see Monkey 47 kind of grow. And in an area like the United States, there's a huge opportunity for growth. And so my, sorry, it's like you put your phone on, like, do not disturb, and then people call you. And it rings. And I'm just like, why would you give me the option to put it on do not disturb if you're going to disturb me? It's the weirdest thing. I'm sorry. Okay. So, anyways, um, so Chris Patino, actually, who is an incredible mentor in the food, food and beverage industry, and at that time had worked for Pernod Ricard, sort of recommended my name. They were looking for someone part-time. And due to a few legal things in order to hire someone part-time and be a printer card employee, you had to work at three different bars that also did not carry that product. And so my feedback to the person who- Which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard It's the weirdest thing. And it's just kind of like, you know, legal, like reads and stuff. And is like, this is our take on it. This is what, what you should do. And so the person who would come into the bar to kind of check me out, I guess, or, or just have a conversation with me was Jennifer Schwartz, who, who is now my boss and who now is the brand lead, right? Was always the brand lead. And I said, you know, that I get that, but like, if you have three jobs and a part-time brand ambassador, like one to two of those things are really going to suffer. And I can guarantee it's going to be that brand because, you know, people are, it's just, people are just going to skate by. A few months later, the position for full-time Monkey 47 brand ambassador came open in New York City. And I went through a very lengthy hiring process, took about a month. And, and yeah, now yeah, I, and I now right have For anybody listening and like anybody watches later on, if you ever go for a corporate job, because I've heard people call me like, Elaine, it's been like two months and I still 
still haven't heard anything. Do you think I got the job? And I'm like, oh no, it could take up to three months sometimes to get hired at yeah. a big corporation. It gets yeah. so many layers. There's so yeah, much. the process like on hiring people like so hard. Now our company, it's so hard. you have to go through like a graphic test. So the last part, <laughs> it, honestly, yeah, they actually analyze you the way you write your handwriting, wow. so they can. No. Nobody, nobody writes by hand anymore. Everyone types. You know, it's so much more efficient. I know. If I were to That's start why. Typing, I'd be like, That's why your hidden secrets are, yeah. Uh, you know, I would be saying. So they, they take a giant chunk of hair out of your head and do a hair analysis to see your drug history. It's like, literally, I had a bald spot in the back of my head for like two months. <laughs> because they analyze your hair. Anyway, so sorry, we digress. So you got the job. You're now the national brand ambassador. At, at first, I started out as as the as the just New York City brand York. ambassador, and and as that continued, we as we continued to see Monkey Forty Seven grow, that kind of became like okay, maybe a little bit of New Jersey, maybe a little bit of Brooklyn, and like some Long Island in there, and and then as that continued to grow. You know, people would reach out to Jennifer Schwartz and say, like, hey, we have this really awesome opportunity in Boston or Chicago or D.C. And be like, we'll send Lacey. Right. Yes to everything. Yes to every opportunity and wanting to make sure that everyone felt like we were hearing their their requests and their needs and saying, we got you. We support you. And we have your back in terms of what you feel like you can do in your market with Monkey 47. And so that continued for a while. And and, you know, I kind of think that I learned that you really have to do the job that you want, maybe before you get the job that you want. And so I would say I was probably working as the national brand ambassador for about eight or nine months before mm-hmm. being able to like acquire that actual title. And and that that I, by that I mean like put it, get the business cards and then put it in my email signature. You know, like I mean there was also like you know a, a different job description that went with it, but it was also kind of like a, a bit of a title and a bit of cloud that went there. And so, and then I've yeah, t- had that position for a couple of years now, but, but that's a little bit of the kind of trajectory for me in terms of how I was able to become the national brand ambassador. It was a starting out as just New York city and B also always saying like that I wanted more, right. I wanted to, 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 to do bigger and do more. And, you know, but you yeah, also sent recaps to let people know what you were doing, which I thought was smart. Like without yeah, being asked, so, you did something so, very smart and you sent it to a lot of people. So Monkey 47 is an incredibly small brand, and it's also a small brand within a company that has a lot of moving parts. And I didn't want anybody to ever say, hey, what's going on with Monkey 47? Or, hey, what's Lacey doing? And so I can't remember if it was every week or every month, but I would send out, and the title was just like, Monkey 47 Gin, Big Wins in New York City. And it was, did I have failures? Absolutely. Every month, every week, absolutely, right? You're n- you will never have a success without trying to fail first. And so it was just all of the highlights, so all of the wins. And it was heavy on photographs, and it was heavy. It was really snappy, and it was really short. And the other thing was, you know, if, if I had, let's say, you know, been able to get a placement, so someone decided to carry a monkey 47 behind the bar, I would say, hey, I got a placement at this place by working with this sales rep and this other person who calls on this account. And so it was like, you know, I was really sharing my wins with as many names as possible so that they looked at me and went, wow, she's some glue that people really stick to and wins kind of circulate around her. And then when other people maybe were in a bar or restaurant and they were going, gosh, they don't have Monkey 47 here, but it might be a really great place for Monkey 47. They would then work on my behalf and then share their win with me. Or they'd call me up and be like, hey, I got you. I just sold in Monkey 47. Stop by and buy a couple drinks. 
And so, which I think I is a, great. I think these I are great lessons, by the way, it. because yeah. you are the, one of the lessons I took away from that is like being proactive. Nobody asked you to do that. You were CCing all the right people. You did it as a team win. So it was for the brand. Cause some people have a really hard talking about things that they've done because they feel like they're bragging. But if you, I always say to people, if you do it as a win, like the, the brand had a win, it's not like Lacey had a win. The brand had it was a big for everyone. Win. Yeah. yeah. It was like, and Hey guys, look what you all did. Team. Yeah. People were gonna, you were helping other people be successful, so they wanted you to be successful, which I think is really, really important. Um, it was also optics too. So like, you know, half of the people who were CC'd on that email, they don't look at Monkey 47 Gin data every week or every month, or maybe even every year, you know? But these are people who I want them, I want it to be top of mind, Monkey 47. And if they're in a meeting or if they're at a bar, I want them to be like, thinking about this product and how great it is and how easy it is to make it grow and win. And I want just to sort of frame that narrative around like, this is something that's going to be successful in, in every facet, so. No, I think it's important because in a big company like Pernod, little brands can get really lost. So making it seem like the cool <laughs> brand and letting them know it's growing, it'll give a perception that it is becoming bigger than any, they even imagined it ever could be, which means eventually you get more budgets. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yeah. great. So, Nicola, you also, you transitioned, you you started off the company in one role and then you kind of moved your way to where you are now. So tell us a little no, bit I mean, about I, that. I, I want to say that, you know, what Lacey says is really correct. I mean, I couldn't agree more. The fact that you do the job you want to do really before you actually get a job. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like taking your heart after the obstacle, you know, before even jumping. And uh, it's a great thing. I think this the strategy she talked about is a strategy that everybody should use in the way that created a connection. And at some point, receiving a phone call that somebody's been selling the product for you and they kind of get a reward because you are happy. They are doing it for you. People do it for you. Besides the fact they do it for the brand, of course, they respect the brand, they like the product, and they make profit, but they do it for you. And this means they believe in you. You know, this is that really like a the great achievement that anybody can in our job. I mean, I believe in any job. You know, you you do every every job you do. You're an ambassador if you want to do it proper. In a way that yeah. I remember when I was working as a bartender in this Bournemouth bar in UK back in 1989, I was so much into this bar that I was wearing the T-shirt with the logo of the bar everywhere I go, <laughs> in the G, in the club, on the beach, and everybody will start saying hello to you to come by to the bar. You know, if you, you know, if the bar grows, you benefit on that. If the bar is doing well, you benefit on that. And you know what? It's good when people identify you also with the brand. Now people say Monkey 47, they say Lacey. You know, this seems like that. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But, you know, Fingers, but this yeah. is not, eventually it's going to happen. You know, it's a nice achievement when somebody says, Fernando Branca says Nicola. You know, they, they see you, they see the brand, you know, and they, your name, you're the reference. This means you've done the job. Properly, you know, I'm going to stop you one second. It is so much, you guys have cooler brands when everybody knew me, even though I represented the entire portfolio, everybody just knew me from Ciroc. So they were like, oh, it's a Elaine, it's Ciroc, which is not cool in the cocktail industry. In the consumer world, it was very cool. Me, They're like, you hang out with Diddy? I'm like, yes. And they're like, whoa. I bet you did go to some pretty street. cool parties, though. <laughs> yes, I bet you I did. I bet you did some really cool ice luges, though. Great, oh, great MP. Oh, yeah. um, so ice luges. Great MP to invest. Talking about Ciroc, not so much. <laughs> um, Nicola, if, if I can just comment on what you had to say, I think that's so 
on point where what you're what you're describing is a good brand ambassador where when someone thinks about the brand they immediately think about that person or if someone thinks about the person they immediately think about the brand and i actually think that that can be a real trap like a thirst trap for people within the beverage industry who are looking to make a transition into brand ambassadorship where they think like oh i'll be so cool or oh i'll have all this clout or i'll have I'll have the expense card, right? And it's like, you do know there's a report that goes along with that every month, right? Yes. And so, and so what I have learned is that a really good fit with a brand is where not only are you elevating the, that brand, right? You're elevating the, the knowledge and the vibes and, and, you know, the enthusiasm around that brand, but that brand also elevates you as well. And if those two things don't fit, then it's not a good, it's not a good fit for you as a brand ambassador, because you know, Elaine had a great point. You're like, you're in this really great spot in your career, but it's like, yes. And I then transfer that on to something else. But if that something else did not also have something really great to give back to me, it would have been a complete loss, you know? So I think that as people continue to, to really sort of peel off and go into the brand ambassador, or, or let's just say the corporate side of the food and beverage industry, where there are opportunities for healthcare and, you know, maternity leave or paid family leave or a, re- a livable wage, right? These things that in America, like, all that stuff is normal. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Whoa. So as we see that that sort of transition for beverage professionals into that, I, you know, I just really want to just have my two cents to say, like, if you're given an opportunity to work on a brand and they're like, you're so great, you're so great, you're going to be so great for this brand, they're really b- building you up. You need to vet that brand. You need to vet it backwards and forwards, especially as, you know, you have just like Elaine, you said, and Nicola, two, three months of a job process, job hiring process. What do you think they're doing? They're taking your hair samples and your signature samples. But how have you vetted that brand? You know, do you know what's in the juice? Do you know what the plan is? Do you know who's drinking it? So so that's just a thought that I had as I heard you talking about. Yeah, no, you're um, you're you're totally correct. And also like the fact that you have to grow with the brand. In a way that I've been doing this job for 10 years. And the way I walk into a bar today is totally different than the way that I used to walk in a bar like 10 years ago. And the words that I say are different. And the way I'm humble is totally different from what I was 10 years ago. And because I'm growing with the brand and the brand is putting more responsibility on top of me. So I feel more rewarded by the brand and vice versa. So this is like a, it's an ongoing process because one of the things we have to, we don't have to forget to do it is always question ourselves on what are we doing? How, how can I support more the brand? What is the brand representing for me? Am I growing with the brand? Am I leaving something behind on my process of going to brand? This is something that, you know, talking to yourself is the best way to do it. Analyzing what this job means to you and what the job means to and what they think about you all the time. So this is really like a, we have so much time on our own, even if the people don't think about it, but we travel a lot in time and airport alone in the hotel room. Those are the times that I spend the most of analyzing why I'm doing this job. What makes yeah. me waking up at eight o'clock in the morning, doing two meetings, do three trainings, do lunch with a customer, do a two, another training from to sales people on a distributor from two to six, then go for a dinner with, a, with the customers and do go bar hopping up to three o'clock in the morning, waking up at six, taking a plane and fly to Denver. You know, this yeah. is <laughs> that for 196 days, 
out of the 236 working day in a year. It's the I, fact I, that I'm, I'm always focused on what I'm doing. I'm always, yeah. I know all the time what I have to do. I know all the time what it means to me. And I'm sure that I know what all the time what I mean for the company. What, I, what is my contribution for the company being unique? But I think also you can continue to do that 183 days because that company is giving back something to you, right? Oh, yeah. So, so, so while you're continuing to invest and and really become synonymous synonymous with Fratelli, you know, they're also investing in you. They're giving oh, back yeah. to you, and oh, that yeah. keeps yeah, you strong. Yeah. It keeps you fueled, you know, and that keeps you going. I think that that's a really beautiful working relationship, right? I, you know, I think a lot of times we talk about bars as being like our family, and 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 um, it's a little bit different, I think, when you start working within a bigger company because you stop saying, hey, everyone's my family, everyone's my family, and you go, we have a working relationship, which means my needs are met and your needs are met and we have contractual obligations and everyone's happy. And that is a really great working relationship, right? No, and not to the advantage, you guys are both working very closely with your brand teams. As somebody who didn't have the, like I had the opportunity in the beginning, because I was the first real global and uh, national brand ambassador Diageo ever had, and the first head mixologist they ever had. And I used to work really closely. It was a new position, this is 2005, 2000, the, the brand ambassador role was, and that, and Lacey and I, we talked about this yesterday, how that slowly transitioned because I was working for an agency and the disconnect started happening where I was no longer really working with the brand teams as much. It was more an agency thing and it becomes really unfulfilling because you don't feel like anybody's actually recognizing what you're doing and you're not growing together. So this is a big lesson also for those looking to become a brand ambassador. It's like working for a company that's family owned or where you get to work one-on-one. -on -one. This is a question you can ask. Am I going to get to work directly with the person who's making the decisions? You know, is this, or am I just going to be managed by, you know, this person who really just, they're just a payroll company and they're just kind of helping me. And Lacey, you have the benefit of both because you work with Bomba where you get their creativity. They do, you know, they don't really manage you, but they do all that stuff, but you get, do get the benefit from them and you get to work from with the brand team. And same with you, Nick, I'm about to call you Nick now. Nick, you know, working directly <laughs> with the family because you recognize, and I'm going to go back to something because they recognize you. You were giving the tours at the distillery itself at one point. Yeah, this uh, is the way I actually started. And that's how they found, like, that's how your role transitions. Like you did a few yeah, roles. Yeah, I, I, I started, I started like as in the, I started in the company like in the trade marketing. I was doing POS material, doing the canvas. And a little bit of training, a little bit like I was actually importing a sellout mentality that this company didn't have back in the day uh, because I was coming from some Pellegrino, so Nestle, all the sellout, out of home concept already something in my mind. And they didn't really have this approach. So I was starting talking about sellout to our salespeople. We have 170 sales guys in Italy and they are really old, really like traditional guys have been working for Branca for the past 35 years and the grandfather used to work in the same company. So they were like a, a different mentality, different approach. And there was a time for changing. And so I was starting that and I was giving like tour of the museum. So this is the way I, I fall in love with the history of this company. I fall in love with all the information. I wasn't a bartender. I used to bartend, but not as a, at the same level of my colleague here. Uh, I was just making drinks behind the bar. Okay, so, so I wasn't bartending, making drinks behind the bar. So I knew about things, but you know, there were so many nice things that I, I really wanted to share. It's like, it was like reading a different book every day. And you can't wait to share the book to, to the next person. You know, it's just <laughs> the street. I say, I, I wrote this fantastic book. You should read it too. 
that was my experience. So I actually started doing it and the company, the family noticed that, that I had had a good way of talking about the brand, a good passion. I was choosing the right wording. I was pursuing the company from the right point of view. And so they want me to do it like, like nationally, then internationally, then globally. And that's how I, I, I started with this company and working with directly contact with the, with the family is great because you have a chance to know stories that there are no written books. Like, you know, how, what was your first time to you try for a Bronca? And they told you, you know, my grand grandfather gave it to me. And then I knew my grandfather, they knew the founder, and this is the house we used. <laughs> so many, you, you get in contact. Beware though, that the closer you get to the sun, the more risk you have to get burned. <laughs> really, <laughs> in a way that we are really- <laughs> The harder you know, the you, stories get. Yes, you know, so you really have to be, you feel they are really looking at you and say, okay, now you are not Branca, your surname is not Branca, but you're talking for us, which is for a company like that, it's such a wise choice to have somebody who's not from the family to be an ambassador. They could, Eduardo is very good, we have like part of the family, but they want somebody that is, was coming from nowhere, like a common person, like a, a person from the street saying exactly what is product is and it was a really wise choice it was a strategic choice and, and, and you know but you are looking at them they're looking at you and say be careful because every word that you are saying is going to affect the company and, you know any words and when you yeah. work on the, the company that's built on uh, uh, on on tradition that is built on generation and is built on longevity means it's built on respect so you really have to be able to analyze that everything you say today, how it's going to affect the company in the 25 years time. So this wow. is really- That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it is, it is. That's why it, it is. That's why I'll say it's not an easy job. You are in direct contact with the family and you know, you know, you can be gone in a second, you know, uh, and it would be fine. It would be like, right, because you have a big responsibility, but you are the voice of the family. Well, you, actually, Nicola, I have a question for you. And Please Elaine, do. you know, mute me if I'm just like going off path here. But so Never. that is such a great point about how you can be, you know, muted instantly. You can be taken off the brand instantly. At any point, someone can say, okay, we're done. We just, we just went through and are still going through a, a time when people lost their jobs and people have not been able to go back to work. So at what point in working for a brand where they're investing in you, you're investing in them, maybe there's a really cohesive working relationship and you're starting to feel like family, you're starting to feel like you have ownership over this product in some way, at what point do you say, hey, I need points in this company. I need shares in this company. I can't be someone who, let's say I give 10 years of my life and I'm, and I am the global face of, you know, X, Y, or Z, you know, I need to see some sort of job security because well, who's to say they don't get just get like a new CEO and everything changes. And so some big reorg, right? <laughs> um, the dirty word reorg. So, so what is your advice around like job security? Well, I'm unique. <laughs> you know, honestly, honestly, this is the thing. I mean, I can't I can, tell my bosses that I, I, I mean, but this is what we have to do. We are be, we have to be working on ourselves to be. I'm not saying I'm replaceable. OK, I can be replaced anytime, but they won't have the same person. I'm unique. 
is a brand, is a unique brand. I have to be unique. I've, you know, the things that I say about this brand is only me can be. It's only one that can say that because it's my personal understanding. It's my personal live on how I live the brand, how I live the liquid. Everything else is on Google. Everything is on Wikipedia. Everything is on marketing presentation. But the rest, the passion, the feeling, the emotion are mine. Nobody can take them from me. So I'm working on don't, don't, do not lose that every day of my job. And then when they look at me, I'll say, yeah, I, I still want this person to do the job he's doing. Um, I mean, so I, I mean I'll give you a different perspective. I think that's a good perspective. It is hard. I mean, as somebody who's worked for two large companies, you know, it is, you know, it, sometimes it's really hard to replace somebody. Like, they would not have, if I didn't leave Diageo, I don't think I could have stayed there for a very long time because I made myself invaluable in many ways where I could work on seven rate brands. I could be in anywhere, anywhere. They could be like, Elaine, you, you, we need somebody to talk about Bullet. One day I had to talk about 10 brands in one day because everybody else, everybody else got snowed in. And I was the only person on the company who can do that. Like I could talk about the entire portfolio and be like, you're the bullet girl now. Bam. Okay, I'm working on or I'm Don Julio or I'm Tanqueré. I would just like change hats and I'd be like, okay, everybody. But that being said, I think it is harder to get fired than you. I mean, granted, we are in a pandemic, so things change and a lot of people got fired that probably would not normally get fired. Working for a large company like Pernod, is it something you can ask for? Like a shares in a company? Sure. I don't know if they they do it. It's probably not a policy they have because you work for you work for an outside agency. It was so, less a question about me and my own personal career trajectory, and more about like other people who I see for a, for a brand for like ten years and then lose their job. You know, like yeah. how work at job security after you've been working for a company for so long and then you can just lose your job. You know, um, or, or you approach them and say, hey, you know, where's where's my job security after this? So that was yeah, know, less less about my I mean, on that path. Like in our company's securing us, we have like some some kind of protection. Is if is a company made by families? Is a family-owned company, but also a company made by families. And the most important thing on this company is families and. Before going to the path, we cut down like by 70% of our market investment. You know, we, 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 we secure, like we secure people. The other thing is that, <laughs> that happen, you know, what, what do I get after 10 years? I get the fact that I'm the person I'm today. Thanks to them also. Thanks to the fact that I've been traveling to everywhere part of the world. I've seen more countries in a month than people in the entire life. I've, uh, you know, I've learned so much. My, nobody's going to take my professionality, my contribution to any other company I could give. If that come, the, the things happen, okay, well, this is what they did for me. They make me grow so much. They make yeah. me improve professionally and as a person because I met other people, I have connection, I have people. I, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm so happy what I've done so far and I'm happy to continue doing it for around 20 years. You know, I have my, I have my, my name on some family books there's some part of me in the museum. <laughs> so it's like, I really, I really, but I'm not saying I'm done. Now right. we have a new adventure here. Now we are talking about like in, in, in to people, we have the chance to talk about consumer. We have to put, you know, this period, give us the chance to get rid of all the security, all the comfort zone that we had so far, you know? Like, this is what I did. I, I actually got totally naked by the security of the comfort zone of the job that I was doing, I said, "How can? I, what did I really learn? Who I really am now that I cannot travel, that I cannot be in bar, that I cannot offer shots, that I cannot do party, I cannot give coins. What do I really? Who I am? 
And I discover who I am. I have the knowledge, I have the capability to connect with people again. I can find strategy. I can help the marketing. I know, I feel, I have feelings. I have the, 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 the field and the consumer communicate with me without talking. And that was a great opportunity. Again, after 10 years, job, when you think your job is done, when you think your career is done, when you think that this is the way you work, this is the way it works. doesn't. Something happened. You have to change totally. And you are kind of like back in the street again, be like zero again, back to square one. And you know what? You, I know I can be in square one again I, because I have the knowledge, I have the capability. So no, this I is think that's a good point. I think there is no, I mean, especially in America, there is no job security. I don't, I don't care what you do, who you are. There really isn't. You can get fired at any moment. It just it sucks, right? But what you can do to protect yourself is try to make yourself indispensable to keep learning and changing on the job where you keep developing yourself. So even if you do lose your job, you've gained all those skills. So right now, like even your job, you know, you're, you're working with the brand team and you're going to be learning. You're learning so many new skills. So this is like if you keep developing that, so you don't have to worry about that. You're like, eh. If I lose this job, I'll get another one because I have all these different skills and I have all these contacts. And that's where building your network really matters because then you get to know many people in different organizations. So it's like, unfortunately, I don't know if there ever is job security, but I think if you build your skill sets, make yourself a little more indispensable because you become so good at your job that it's hard for them to think of replacing you because not everybody can do what you do. I think that helps keep you where you are. But I'm going to go to, I hope that... Lacey? By the way, by the way, by the way, Lacey, we know you. We've been not serving you, so don't worry. <laughs> Great. <laughs> then All right, so let's, let's go on to the next question. But that was a really good question, Lacey. And unfortunately, I don't know if there is a, a really succinct answer, as we both demonstrated. All right, so I'm going to go, because we've already been on for a while, we're going to talk about some of the things I think are really important. So hitting targets. Lacey, you mentioned something that really was interesting yesterday about like, you know, because you work so directly with the, the brand team and you do have KPIs, key, key performance indicators for those of you who don't know industry talk, right? But you said, you know, sometimes you can't hit them. So what is the conversation that you're having? Because this is a stressor for a lot of brand ambassadors. Sometimes you can't. So tell us how you handle that when you're, no, it's not going to happen. A couple things. First of all, for me, I, and I don't know if this was a unique position, but I was in a position where my KPIs, right? Which I remember asking Chris Patino, what's a KPI? And he says, it's a key performance indicator. So, okay, well, what's that? And he goes, it's how yeah. they know you're doing your job. And I was like, okay, so not only do I have to do my job, but then I have to like track these other things so that they also know I'm doing a job. He's like, yeah, okay. So I was in a really lucky position where, and I don't know if this is not normal, where I actually got to cr create my KPIs with someone else. So it mm -hmm. wasn't just numbers plucked from thin air where people were like, Hey, you, we want this. So do that for us. Right. I got to create that with the, the monkey 47 brand lead. And for me, I don't find, again, this is just for me. And, and a, to, again, like I was working on a very, still am a very small brand that there's nothing wrong with not meeting your KPIs. There's nothing wrong with saying, Hey, you asked for 200 menu placements and I only got 100. Right. And here's why. Because if you can come back to the table with with data, with with information, with intel, with research around what you learned from not meeting that key performance indicator. So for me, and again, these numbers are all just like arbitrary. So like 100, 200, it's like, that would be really fun if, if I got to get like 100 many places. But so for me, I 
went to, you know, in New York City when I was just working in New York City and working on getting Monkey 47 on back so bars. And mm-hmm. say that again. No, I saying so true, Adrian. She just made a point. <laughs> it's hard to start from square one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Sorry, go ahead. So I'm working in, it, it's not really important, but I'm working in New York City and, and let's say I'm starting to get menu placements and I didn't get, I didn't meet my KPI of getting a certain number of menu placements. And the research that I came back with was, okay, here's what I'm finding out. Nobody says they don't like Monkey 47. Okay, that's great. Nobody says they don't want to carry it. Okay, that's also great. Nobody says they don't want to put it on their menu. Okay, that's so great. But everyone says that they feel really guilty when they have to charge like $35 for a gin tonic. Little other piece, it doesn't stop (laughs) consumers from buying it, but they have to know about Monkey 47 first and know that it's so good and know why it's expensive. So the research that I came back with was what would really kind of like move this along a little bit more is if we came out with a bigger bottle of Monkey 47 and were able to massage the price a little bit. And so that was what bartenders and restaurant owners and bar owners were overwhelmingly telling me. I mean, I had a bar in New York City say, I want to put Monkey 47 on the menu. I have the perfect cocktail for it. But because the bottles are so small and we're such a high volume establishment in such a, a small space, two things. One, I don't have the space to store that many bottles. And two, it will slow us down having to open so many in the middle of the night or you know during service so um so not meeting that kpi of of having enough menu placements was really great because then i was able to take back to the global team a reason for why i felt like we needed to have a bigger bottle in the united states i mean uh, the, the priorities of the united states are a little bit more around speed cost and efficiency whereas the 500 milliliter bottle in europe and asia is is, is perfect. It's great. So, so, so that was an example for me of like not meeting your KPI doesn't mean that you did a bad job. It just means that you need to find out why it wasn't able to be met and sort of counter that with what you can do to maybe, maybe see that met in the future. No. And I think that's the, I think the thing I, I took away from that is that you didn't just complain. You weren't just like, I just didn't do it. Right. I, I just couldn't do it. You, you came to them with very succinct, you know, reasons like, this is what I found out. This is the feedback I'm getting from consumers, from bartenders, and here's my solution. This is what I think we should be doing, and this is why. And if we do that, we're gonna have better results. And getting it changed to a one liter bottle over the very small bottle, which is not an easy thing for a brand to do, right? But it's like they have to plan. It probably couldn't happen for another year or two. But yeah, it took it took a year of planning and development before it was finally released. So it finally got launched in like January of two years ago and it was a one liter bottle. And and I mean, talk about opening up the floodgates in terms of distribution and menu placements and things like that. So so in, in a really, you know, backwards kind of way, I did meet that KPI. It just took me another year and a totally backwards way to get there, but I made it eventually, so. And we'll wait, and then uh, Nicola, um, uh, Nicola, I can't, I'm gonna call, I'm just gonna call him Nick, because uh, I keep calling him Nicola, which is my, which is my girlfriend's name, uh, Nicola. He, he just got, he got kicked off again, but yeah. I think, no, that's really important. And the fact that you're able to work with your brand team and also the fact that you're brave enough, not brave enough, but smart enough also, just is like, to be able to have the confidence to present that to them. Because a lot of people might be like, oh crap, I'm in trouble. I didn't hit that KPI. I'm not having that conversation. And they might not have the brand team also to be able to talk to. Because a lot of brand teams, and this is something I have conversations a lot, is that you know, 
they're not in the streets. You guys are in the streets. You know, they're, you know, they go to the work and they're in the, they get stuck in the white tower. It's not their bolts, you know, the ivory tower, as they like to call it. They're stuck there. They don't, you know, they're doing PowerPoint presentations all day. And the only way they get their data is through like data, you know, they buy it, you know, it comes in and they're reading trend reports and things of that nature. So to get that one on, and the fact that they listened, came up with a plan and developed a new package says a lot uh, about, you know, your influence on the on the brand, the, the brand team's ability to to actually to adapt to a new market. And again, it paid off in the end, as you said, like the new, everything kind of flooding through. So hopefully Nick gets back on, because I do have a really, really great question, but maybe we can start into it, which is, because Nick and I started talking about something I thought was really interesting yesterday, which was, and I have this conversation a lot with brand ambassadors, and I know I have it for myself. You don't mind building the relationships. You don't mind going into accounts, you know, having a drink, doing brand trainings. It's when you have to close the deal. It's when you have to ask like your friend, the person you became buddies with to suddenly be like, Hey, can you, can you buy, can you buy in a case? Can, can you make the menu placement? And, you know, like, I, I always give one of the best lessons I ever got was uh, from Jim Meehan. So Jim and I got to know each other. We actually took bar five together, like the first or second course at bar five ever was. And, and I knew nothing at the time I took bar five and Jim was sitting next to me and he became like a mentor to me, like told me, taught me so many things, taught me how to make drinks, taught me so many things. I'm very grateful to him. And so I'm going into PDT, you know, in probably six, eight months, you know, I've been going in there and I see, you know, a couple of my brands on the back bar, but I never see them on the menu. And I said, I finally said, I said, Jim, is there a reason why you, you never put like, you know, Tanqueray or, you know, any brands on the menu? He's like, you never asked. Hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, you never asked me to put it on the menu. I was like, so you weren't gonna, he's like, well, if you ask, I'll, I'll totally put it on the menu. I love, you know, problem. He's like, other people ask, so I put their brand on the menu. And it was like such a, like a re revelation. I was like, wow, like so simple. He's like, and I realized you just need to ask the question sometime. You just need to be like, hey, can you take it in? Like it, you, I know you like the brand. Is there any reason why you're not taking the product in? Like yeah. price point, like in getting that feedback, but it is that awkward conversation because suddenly the buddy that you're, you become friends with, but they're not, they are your buddy and you have become friends with them, but it is business and you do need to have put your business hat on. Mm -hmm. You're no longer a bartender mm -hmm. talking to another bartender. You are a brand ambassador talking to a mm -hmm. bartender, bar, you know, mm -hmm. the beverage director. Well, I think that my experience over the last four years has really helped me navigate some of these conversations. So, you know, the first tasting that I did with someone four years ago, I mean, you know, my heart was, was racing and I like, I like, did my whole spiel and I was just like, okay, and so, you know, like, now you go. Now you tell me all the things I want to hear and tell me all how great it is. And, and you know, <laughs> thankfully, the first place I ever met with was the Nomad and they, they just like watched me sweat the whole time, Leo Robichek <laughs> and Petra Colina. And then, and then they were like, well, we're going to bring it in, so relax. And I was just like, and I still couldn't relax. You know, I felt very uncomfortable, but but they were really happy to support me because they they were my friends, et cetera. However, my, my, my take on closing the deal for me is a little bit different where I try to pull out all of the no's so that the only thing they're left to say is yes. So instead of saying like, you know, 
tasting and giving some brand history and talking through and doing, you know, spending whatever time someone has, being respectful of that and spending time with them to to share this brand with them, Monkey 47. Instead of being like, so we take it in, I would say something like, when what days do you normally, so then now I know, okay, when, when they're going to be ordering again. So they can't say, well, I just placed an order, I'm not going to pick it up. Or I'd say, how many gin cocktails do you usually um, keep on your menu? Two, oh, okay. And I'll look at the menu, I'll say, you think any of these gins might be moving? You think you're going to switch it up a little bit? Yeah, I do. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Which ones are you thinking? I'm thinking this one. This one over here sells really well. Why does that sell so well, do you think? So I'm really, at this point, I'm just like getting the DNA of this bar or restaurant. No, which is great. Then I can, I don't say to them, so will you bring it in? I would probably say something like, so can I go ahead and have um, Joe stick a case of Monkey 47 on your um, order for next week so that it comes in on the Tuesday when your delivery comes? And I know you said you're going to work through a couple bottles. So I'm going to come back every week and I'm going to have some drinks to help you push through the, that product so that, um, you know, when you're ready to change your menu, which happens in one month, I can be here to facilitate a Monkey 47 cocktail. I also have the ability to support you with R&D. So I'd be happy to come in and sit at your bar and and buy drinks that you're able to test out um, on yourselves or consumers. And so at that point, they're just like, there's no opportunity to say no, because no one's going to say, no, I don't, want you to come in. I don't want you to come in here and spend money on my products. And I'd be right. like, well, okay, well then I'll just come in here with my friends and have them spend money on your products, right? So I always try to look for um, as many ways, I I pull out all the no's, I pull out all the information, and then I just kind of like spit back to them everything that they've just said to me with like a little bow on top that says like, you know, your your gin will be arriving in a couple of weeks and it's just magically on your bill. So I think that's that's perfect. And it's literally the perfect way. Where did you learn how to do that? Or you just came up with that? Did somebody teach you that? No, I, I think I just... You know, it's really demoralizing when someone says no to you, I think, yes. you know, and, and because that that to me is really cold and it really kind of shuts off a conversation. And even if I'm not able to get a placement for Monkey 47 Gin, even if someone says, even if somebody says right out of the gate, no, I don't want it. No, I don't like it. No, I'm not putting it on the menu. I would say thank you so much. Thank you. You respect my time. You clearly know your program. You clearly know exactly what you want. Thank you so much. I'll come back in three months. I'll come back in six months, right? So for me, I still don't see that fully as a no. It's still a yes and, right? It's still no, but. And then I'll come in once a week for the next few months and I'll sit at the bar and I won't bring up Monkey 47 and I'll sit there and I'll have a drink or I'll have some food and I'll make friends with people, right? So that if three or six months from then they say no to everything, they they say, but... Maybe we'll bring in one bottle and test it out. And that, that's all I need. That's all yep. I need. Because that that's you just pull on top of that. So so yeah, no, those I don't are know, great. I don't those know. are great lessons. Like pulling out the nose and getting the information that you know they might say no to or using it towards your event. It's like, oh, okay, so you're ordering next week, I'm gonna stick it on. And you're not really asking, you're just kind of like telling them this is this is what's going to happen. And they can say no at any point, but it's kind of just mm-hmm. easier for them sometimes to just go along with the flow. <laughs> Like, yeah. oh, all right, I guess I'm doing I also find that it's really helpful when I can not when I can stop talking about me and my product and start asking them about them and their bar. So, you know, I see you have eight gins on the back bar. That's amazing. 
that's your 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 guests, your bar your bartenders, they are in riches with that many bottles on the back bar of gin, right? Which ones sell really well? What cocktails do you really like to use? Which ones are maybe sitting too long? So that just helps me understand exactly what kind of a gin program this bar is looking at and what kind of maybe what some of their numbers are without specifically asking. And then for me, I see exactly where Monkey 47 gin fits into that sort of, you know, you know, family of gins behind the back bar. So no, I always, I always do recommend to, you know, Brandon Beth, like, go into the bar before you even try to sell, if you have an opportunity, or else you're in, like, market visits, and sometimes you don't have a chance. You don't know where you're going until you get there. But if you know where you're going, you should at least do some research. You should at least look them up online. Mm -hmm. You should at least sit at their bar once to, like, kind of see where your product might fit, what are the products that they have. Like, your first visit mm -hmm. literally should be no conversation at all. Like, you're just, maybe you get to know who the buyer is while you're sitting at the bar or when they're there so you can make an appointment, but you're literally just doing a little bit of research to find out, you know, and then you can know how to ask, you know, the, the questions. But even though those are great questions to kind of ask as you're, as you're sitting with the buyer to take away those uh, no's, Peru. I don't know what DNA means. Oh, getting to know the DNA. The, go ahead, explain. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know it's, it's like, what, what, I mean, now you've got me on the spot, like, and I don't know. The DNA, it's like, you're, what you're made up of. The DNA of a bar, it's like, your DNA of a person, kind of what you're made up of. Sorry, I'll say, greetings from Peru. Hello, Franco from Peru. Hello. Your DNA is like, what the, your, what you're made up of. So that's the DNA of the bar. It's like looking at a bar and understanding. Your, your genome sequence. How's that? Yeah, your genome sequence. Are you, like are, are you a bar, a whiskey bar? A classic cocktail bar like are you doing like serious cocktails or are you a beer and shots bar so really just understanding what kind of style of bar they are i guess is a is a great way of looking at it i will unfortunately nick doesn't seem to be getting back online but i, I do know like he told me something really interesting yesterday he said we were talking about this he said my brand my team you know because he really manages a, a, a team like so there's brand ambassadors everywhere and he's kind of like the coach of all of them around the world he doesn't really manage them directly but he's more their inspiration and he said you're welcome franco he 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 was saying something you know we're not sales reps he's like but you know you shouldn't be afraid to ask something from the bar because we we have beneficial we're, we're more beneficial than most sales reps are because we understand the industry we understand how cocktails are made. We understand how their costs work. We understand how their ordering details work. We know we can sit with them and develop programs. So we should be looked at, even if they're not bringing our brand, as like a tool. It's like, so we're just going to work with you so we can help your bar make money. And we can do this so much faster because we understand the industry. Like if you have an event going on, we understand like, okay, you're going to have to like batch this much juice. You're going to have to prep this many cocktails. This is going to be the cost going to you. You don't have to explain this to me. I already know how that works. So you and I can work together in a much faster way. So I can be a benefit to you. I can take on some of those responsibilities or, and he was saying, that's how he kind of works with accounts. He's like, you know, if you're going to bring in your bar, I'm not my brand. I'm not just going to have you bring in my brand. I'm going to be your partner to help your bar make money. So that's the yeah, way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that I think that you know Nicola would probably completely agree with what I'm about to say because I think he's saying the same thing, which is like when I said that you know my foot is in the door when someone says that they agree to carry a bottle of Monkey 47 gin. That to me is not a win. It's not a win until that gin has been poured into a cocktail and someone's buying it and going, God, this is so good. I love this bar. 
I love this cocktail. I love that bartender. So my goal is not just dumping product in bars or getting menu placements. My goal is to see empty bottles in the recycling bin at the end of the night, right? To be able to see that liquid hitting lips and people having a great time. So, and so I really also try to create those relationships with bars and restaurants so that they don't feel like they are in any way a box that's needing to get ticked, but that, yeah. that that's a relationship, right? And, and so... Yeah, it, it's a re- that's really hard to do on a national level. You know, it, it was is. really, really, it was really rewarding doing that on a local level in New York City. But it's it's really challenging to do that on a, on a national level because you know I can I'll spend fifteen minutes in a bar and and that that can be it. So I'm having. Well, let's talk about resources. that. Let's talk about that because you were talking about yesterday, like you know you do travel. It is harder, right, to build those relationships, and you are relying on certain people. So I want to talk about two things, right? So. We'll spend about 10 more minutes on this. So if you don't mind. So we're going to be here to 315. So three. So, so basically you get to a market. Who do you, okay. So what I would love to talk about two things. It's like, there are a couple of people you work with, like you have your market manager who then relates to the distributor and then you're working with them. And then you also have your key account managers. So let's talk about like how the market manager helps you make sure you have success with the distributor and then who else you work with to make sure what you did keeps keeps going when you're when you're mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. So I'm in a little bit of a unique situation, which I don't know if everyone's is like this, where Monkey 47 is in a brand of of spirits within Pernod Ricard called New Brand Ventures. And these are small brands. These are small brands that we're kind of going like, okay, which one's going to be the next breakout star? Which one can we really, how can we build these brands and like see where they take off? And so Monkey 47 is in that portfolio where there's a lot of attention paid and there's a there's a lot of developing and there's a lot of, of you know, effort and work put into these products. And so there are that we call them cams, key account managers stationed all around the U.S. I think there's probably about 15 of them. And to me, those are soldiers feet on the ground in those areas. So while I might be able to have the opportunity to work with them and be able to 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 go to some of the bars that they have relationships in, I'll sit there and I'll make a bunch of promises and constantly be looking at them and say, stop me if you can't follow through with any of these. Stop me if this isn't something you want to do. So I a little bit get, get to come in there and be a dream weaver and be like, this is what I could see for you. And you know who's going to make that happen for you? Lisa. Lisa is going to make that happen for you and we're going to sign on and I'm going to be, this is going to be so awesome. I'll create an event for you. And I, you know, I'm doing as much as I can, but Lisa's the one who's going to put bodies in the room, who's going to, you know, make sure the product is delivered and make sure that, you know, a, a good time is had. So, um, so I'm really lucky that I get to work with those people. So when I go into a market, first of all, if I get the opportunity to work with a salesperson, I'm extremely grateful because oftentimes that salesperson is not only selling Monkey 47, right? They have, you know, sometimes 4,000 different products that they are responsible for in any of their accounts, right? And that's mixers and, and you know, juices and sodas and also alcohol and sometimes wine, beer, all kinds of stuff, right? And the fact that they're taking a day out of making what could be major money selling everything to focus exclusively on Monkey 47, I am extremely grateful for that, okay? So, so you know, I try to work with that person in advance to make sure that they know what I would consider to be our, our, our 
ideal accounts. Whereas like, where do I think we can do the most damage, right? And, and have the biggest wins and the most success together. And do you have any sort of accounts in your territory that you feel like would fit the bill? And I work with the sales managers who are, you know, oversee the key account managers and also, you know, support them any way that I can by, hey, you know, I go into a market and I'm there for three days. I would say to the sales reps, the key account managers and the, the market managers, where do you want me to go? Give me a list of bars or restaurants that you just want me to show up. And I don't have to announce myself. I don't have to make a reservation. You don't have to tell me, but just know that I'm going to need to feed myself while I'm here. And so if there's anywhere that you'd like me to go sit at the bar and I will I'll happily enjoy a beverage and also buy drinks for people at the bar if I can and, and have dinner. And, you know, I'll drop off my card and, and, you know, say, thanks. I had a great time. I'll grab a business card on the way out. I'll email the beverage manager or the bartender or the GM. And I'll say, I had such a great time. Jose behind the bar was fantastic. And Gabriella, who was the food runner was amazing. And I had such a wonderful time. The cocktails were great. Thank you so much. And if they don't have monkey 47, I'd probably say something like next time I'm back. I hope, I hope I can enjoy monkey 47 at your bar, something like that. Right. But just no, kind of always. Key. I think, sorry, I'm going to cut you up because I think that's key. It's like you didn't meet with anybody in particular, but you did spend time in the bar. Because a lot of times you might just go into a bar, you might have a drink, you might not, but nobody ever knew you were there. So it's like, were you actually there? Like it didn't really count. So it's making, mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is by, by getting the right person's contact information, you let them know you were there, you were supporting them. As you said, maybe if they didn't have it, you can say, hey, hopefully next time you'll have it and I come in and have a drink. So it literally is making your visit count. And I think that's yeah. key because sometimes you, people can just be out flandering. They're like going to different counts, whatever. But if nobody knew you were there, it's like, did it really count? It's like, yeah. you might have cracked open a bottle and that's good, but you at least had to have that conversation with the bartender. And I think by letting the buyer know is what's really important. Yeah. And you yeah, also shout also it out to all the people on the team, all the people. Yeah. You yeah. So with, everyone yeah, knows that I'm in there. Right. So that then, even though you know I, I, I'm not a big deal, then the title of national brand ambassador does hold some weight. And so then the salesperson can go make, come back into that account next week and go, did you know that the national brand ambassador for Monkey 47 Gin was in here last week and they had a great time? And people who don't know who were behind the bar be like, oh, I didn't, that's amazing, right? So everyone can kind of you know use that as leverage in whatever way that they may see fit, so. No, which I, I think is great. Well, I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think uh, Nick's going to get back on. So things to say, though. So I feel like we, it was like we got it out of him in the beginning. We like got all this great content and then he scooted off. We, we did. He did have something I wanted him to talk about. One was about the selling and also his brand. The training he does with new brand ambassadors is quite. And and one thing I will say, he, he does a thing. You know, we were talking about KPIs and I'll speak for you, Nick. I hope you don't mind. But he had this great thing, which was if his team is down, like they weren't hitting their targets, they have sales targets, like literally like sales targets, because they all work directly for the distributor, but they're part of the Fernet team in, in a certain way, right? So his job is kind of to like, kind of like get them revved up. So he'll have, if they're feeling a little down or they're not hitting their targets, he gets on the phone with them and he's like, why did I hire you? In a good way, like remember why I hired you because you're this, you did this, this is what you do, this is the person you are. So he gets them like all pumped up and excited about like why they work for the company, why they were hired in the first place, why they think he's there, that particular person is so amazing, like why they think they're great. 
you know, we hired you because you could do this and you did this and you did this and this is the things you have achieved. And like, that's his job, like to really like get them kind of like revved back up and like let them know Mm -hmm. that they have faith in them, that they could do that job, which I think every manager should do for everybody. It's like letting somebody know that, you know, every once in a while you need that little pep talk. Like you're doing a really, really great job. And like, this is why we Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because if, if you're not failing in your job, then you're not take, taking risks and you're not growing, right? Mm-hmm. And every and every failure is not just like, now you're bad at your job. Every failure is an opportunity to learn something new. And so if you're kind of maybe like getting a little too many strikeouts and for someone to be like, hey, we still value you here. We still think yeah. you're amazing. And you you really bring something to the team. Everybody needs to hear that. Even like, they, go they home really and go do. home and tell your partner that. Everyone needs to hear that. You know, <laughs> everybody does. Everybody needs a little. Everybody bit of has. I, I try to tell this to my fifteen-year-old daughter. Like every once in a while, like, you just tell me, like, mom, you know, you're n- you're not bad. Like I'd be happy with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you the can get that from a fifteen-year-old, like that's a solid win. That's a solid no, win you. if you can get that from like puberty ridden human being. My day, if my kid would ever say that to me. All right, so we're gonna wrap this up because it's been really amazing, and I'm, I'm sorry, Nick, but I wanted to wrap it up with some, some life lessons. And you said something to me yesterday, which I thought was like, and this can happen to so many brand ambassadors. It's when you start to work in a, you're in a solo, like you you kind of work in your own space and you're in a silo. So tell me a little bit, like you've learned a little bit about that. Yeah. So because on the brand team in the United States, it's myself and then the brand lead, you know, we'll have meetings and she'll just, you know, we'll be spitballing back and forth and and talking about ideas. And then she'll be like, go do this, you know, create something, create this thing, right? That that doesn't exist and that there's no template for and that there's no, there's no, you know, how to, but create it and then like come back. Two things I've learned. One, what you come back with doesn't have to be perfect. So come back with something that has errors because then you yep. can like fine tune and adjust and get better, right? You don't have to have a, a ready-made product when you come back. And second is, you know, you don't have to take on the burden of creativity alone. So the Bon Vivants are exceptional at like, you know, I, I call up Josh Harris and, you know, he's just like, hey, Lacey, what's going on? And I'm like, I got some ideas. I want to run it back. He's like, <laughs> awesome. I love it. And you just like, you know, you can step all these fun creative ideas. But, you know, as a, as a, a management company or you know, third party sort of marketing organization, they've really got it down pat where they, you know, it's a well-oiled machine. So while they don't manage me in a, in a very tedious, giving sort of like a second job to do, which is, you know, tracking all everything I do, they know that like I'm doing my work and they're doing their work and like together we're, we're you know, combining and creating greatness. And so reaching out to bartenders, reaching out to bar managers, reaching out to other brand ambassadors and being like, hey, I have this idea for for creating, you know, a bartender swag or creating POS or hey, I want to do this event. What do you think? And they'll give you honest answers and or they'll sometimes bite your idea. And that's a huge compliment, too, because I'll be like, oh, you want to do that? Okay, you do that. And I'll also do that. And now everyone will be really excited about this thing that we're going to do together. So no, I think that's yeah. really important. And also uh, what I have learned is just sometimes by expressing your idea out loud to another person, suddenly you, it like triggers other things in your brain to start going. It's like, cause if I'm just writing it down, it's just like the thought in my head. But once I say it out loud, I have learned into another person, suddenly like we can start spitballing ideas back and forth. And it, it, it a lot of times inspires you. Like it triggers other thoughts that you weren't even thinking about because you were just like trying to write it down. And when you try to write something, sometimes it can really narrow 
uh, your creativity. Or else you have like a whiteboard where you're just constantly writing down ideas. But I find just sitting in a group and like, or just one other person and just be like, this is what I'm thinking. And then like work it out together. And then I love the idea of like calling up other people and just being like, hey, I'm thinking about these things. And you'd be amazed at creativity that can happen that way. So I think that's such a great lesson for brand ambassadors because you do get sometimes isolated and you become like a silo of a person traveling around the country doing your thing. And it's like, wow, like to get that feedback is invaluable. So Lacey, this has been really amazing. You shared Thanks some Thanks for having me, stuff. Elaine. Oh, it's been so much fun. I, I really have learned a lot as well and some ideas you made me spit. I was like, oh, that's good stuff. And Nick, Nikki, uh, Nick, <laughs> Nicola, back in Sardinia. I'm so sorry that the internet failed you, but it was great to have you on. You gave some great stuff. So uh, this will all be, for anybody who missed it, it's going to be on the YouTube channel for all the brand ambassadors. So uh, you can watch it again. So I just want to say thank you so much. And uh, it's great seeing you. I look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Yes. Yes. Thank you for having me. And thanks for anyone who tuned in. Yeah. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Come back next week. <laughs> thank you for tuning in again. This is your host, Elaine Duff. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of celebrating the brand ambassador. If you did, please do me a solid hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, leave an excellent review and share on your social media. Also, follow me at Duff on the Rocks to tune in to the live version of these shows every other week on Facebook and say hi or get a question answered by one of our guests. Lastly, if you want to learn more about my online Brand Ambassador Academy or to sign up for one-on-one coaching, head to my website, DuffOnTheRocks.com or BeverageBA.com. Until next time, this girl is out and an ice cold martini is calling my name. Cheers, everyone. Thank you.